for paid six-month internships here in our New York TV studio. Learn more at democracynow.org. Democracy Now produced by Mike Burke, Dina Gesner, Nermeen Shane, Carla Wills, Tammy Warnoff, Sam Alcoff, John Hamilton. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. This is KBOO Portland. 7.59 a.m. coming up at 8. Positively Revolting host Ani Talks to Healthcare for All Oregon about their upcoming rally. At 9, it's the Beloved Community with host John Shuck. And at 10, Radio Zine takes a look at City Council's decision to end funding for Portland's neighborhood associations, as well as an interview with The Demo House. At 10.30, Film at 11 welcomes Tom Kane, founder of Tom Kane's Film Production Workshop, which gives, this, which gives students real-world instruction on how to run a film production schedule. And at 11 on the Digital Divide, host Rabia Yaman will speak live in studio with Matthew Shepard, Director of Communications and Outreach for the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. We'll hear about their work protecting butterflies, bees, and more. And all of these KBU programs happen by the aegis of the support of the members of the KBOO Foundation. If you're not those of you who aren't yet members can remedy that oversight at kboo.fm or use a mobile app and click on donate. Now, now for some important community announcements. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. The Personnel Committee will meet on the second Monday of each month at 6 p.m. This is Alyssa Pariah, your friendly neighborhood agitator, the host of The Struggle, every Friday from 7 to 8 p.m. Listen to KBU Community Radio, 90.7 FM, and online at kboo.fm. The Struggle is where organizers and activists doing good in the community come to discuss their work, to get you to support them, maybe even join them. Remember the struggle. Every Friday, 7 to 8 p.m., KBU Community Radio. What would you have instead? Uh, ah, no, this is it.
are listening to KBOO Portland, your very own community radio station. Keep going. This is Positively <laughs> Revolting. I'm Ani. I'm working on it. And uh, we are trying to find the microphone button. That's right. We are right here, right now. There we are. There we are. Good morning. <laughs> and we are starting. Take two. This is Positively Revolting Talk Radio. I'm Ani, your host. The time is about four minutes after 8 a.m. And you are listening to your very own community radio station, KBOO Portland. There we are. And uh, with that, let me introduce this morning's show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this morning, we are going to be talking about health care for all. Because, you know, it seems to me that it is... Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, let me let me just start with a question. Is it ethical? Is it ethical to treat access to health care as another consumer good? Is it ethical to determine the quality of one's health care by one's ability to pay? And that, by extension, of course, greatly impacts how the quality of life, how people uh, will be able to live their life and how long in many cases, they will be able to live that life. I'm going to go ahead and answer that question. No, it's not ethical, right? <laughs> that is, uh, that's my position. And I think it's really well past time that we actually have quality health care for everyone. Many analysts are citing ever rising health care costs as a large part of our national debt and a huge economic problem uh, just in terms of economy, not to, not in terms of the ethics of people's health and the quality of their lives. Medical bills account for over two-thirds of all bankruptcies, and about somewhere over half a million people file for bankruptcy due to medical bills every year. So to help us sort of understand this and talk about this issue, we have a couple of guests joining us. Uh, we have Lisa Morrison here in the studio with me. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Ani. And Lisa works with Healthcare for All Oregon Action Committee. She's the nationally recognized speaker on financial barriers to kidney transplants and is the author of Medicare from A to D, What Every Nephrologist Needs to Know, which was published in the Clinical Journal of American Society of Nephrology. Uh, she's worked for 17 years as a transplant financial counselor in Portland, which gives you a really unique look into uh, the quality of care people receive and the options that they're given based on uh, the kind of coverage they have. That's absolutely right. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, by phone, we have Linda. By, by phone, we will very soon have Linda Chick. And uh, we will introduce her when we get her. But for now, let's just go ahead and start with you, Lisa. Um, so with, with, the, with what you see every day, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your work. Sure. And because and, I'm very interested in that perspective. Tell us a little bit more about what you do every day. Thank you. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Ani. And I just would like to start by thanking KBOO for having me and Linda on this morning. And um, as I showed you, I brought my spirit guide for courage, a picture of the late, great Dave Maza, who was so important to KBOO in the community over yeah. the years. And um, 
if there's anyone I needed to give me a little extra courage this morning, it's Dave, who really taught us all how important it is to speak up and speak out. Oh, yeah. And I'd like to give a shout out um, to his partner, Marjorie Elliott, um, who cared for him so beautifully throughout his life and remains a great friend of mine. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you all. But yeah, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell you... um, what I've seen over 17 years of this kind of work because I've had a unique opportunity to watch how people deal with the finances around their health care, um, uh, both with private health insurance and Medicare, uh, because most people who have the unfortunate experience of kidney failure become eligible to enter the Medicare program at any age. Mm -hmm. Um, So they don't have to wait uh, for two years of disability. They don't have to wait until they're 65 years old. So I've had a a great up close look at how Medicare works for them and for us as healthcare providers, as opposed to private insurance. Um, So what I do with folks is they're referred for kidney transplant. Now, for 10 years, I was the person who saw them at the beginning of the process. Now I work with them once they're approved for transplant and enter the waiting list. Uh, But either way, um, it's my job to take a look at their health care coverage and walk them through what they can expect in terms of their own expenses, in, in terms of the choices they can make about where they go for health care. And, um, and then if they're not ready financially, which many people are not when they come into us, then I have to get to work helping them um, <coughs> figure out how to protect themselves as well as they possibly can for what they're facing. When you say, uh, you know, uh, if they're not ready for this financially, I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure who would be ready for right. this financially. Right. What are some of the figures for, you know, for folks that haven't looked into kidney transplants? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much does this cost somebody? Well, the United Network for Organ Sharing is the national um, agency that governs the waiting list. And so every few years they take a look at build charges related to all manner of transplants. And the last figure that I saw was about uh, climbing up toward $300,000 for the first year of the transplant experience um, from evaluation through surgery and post-op care and a year's worth of immunosuppressant drugs. Now those are billed charges and as anybody who has ever looked at an explanation of benefits from their insurance company, billed charges are a completely mysterious number that are applied to the services you received and then that bill goes out to the insurance company um, and they chop it up and and tell you what's your portion and what they're going to pay the provider. And a large part of bill charges usually disappears because they're contractual numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, But then that leaves out of pocket for the patient. And what that out of pocket will be is wildly different depending on what your health insurance is. Mm -hmm. So if you have the great good luck to have Medicare and Medicaid combined, you're going to see very little, if any, out-of-pocket expense. But if you have a private health insurance with a $5,000, $10,000 deductible before you even get to coverage, that's where it gets uh, you know, impossible for people unless yeah. they can 
add Medicare into the mix, which most people can do, and then that starts to relieve the burden for them. So, and and Medicare, of course, uh, before the Affordable Care Act made um, pre-existing conditions um, uh, Im- illegal, so to speak, right, you know, denial right. for that. Medicare and Medicaid were the only coverages, along with VA and other public mm-hmm. health insurances, that actually welcomed you in because you have a pre-existing right. condition. So when you actually need to when use health need. services, you, yeah. you could. Right, right. You know, the, right. the public, your community, yeah. in the form of public health insurance was there for, is there for you. Right. Yeah. Well, let's welcome Linda into the conversation. Uh, good morning, Linda. Good morning. I just want to uh, let folks know who you are. You are a nurse with a mission for health equity and universal health care. Uh, you are a graduate of Valparaiso uh, University in 2001. And you lived in Europe for seven years where you got a, a good look at universal health care in the Netherlands and in Britain. Uh there's a there's a lot more to say about uh, who you are, but I, I want to sort of stop there and talk about that experience of uh, being in Europe and seeing universal health care and, and, and seeing how that worked for people in the Netherlands and in Great Britain, for example, and pretty much throughout Europe. Uh, can you, can you uh, let us know a little about that experience? Sure, yeah. Well, for one thing, um, I was not... Um, a resident nor a citizen of either of those mm. countries. Uh, later I became a resident of, of Britain, but uh, as neither of those statuses, I had access to health care when and however I needed it, which was surprising at, at no cost. Mm-hmm. So that was the first, uh, first surprising experience because growing up in the U.S., I even as a child, I knew that there was a cost to health care. My parents worked, they had mm-hmm. health care insurance, they paid premiums and co-pays and such things. But that was the first surprising thing, um, was to be able to walk into a clinic, a hospital, an emergency room, and get health care um, and not be asked to pay for it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I did have one, one experience while I was there mm-hmm. when... Uh, which was which is very startling for a woman to find a lump in her breast, mm. and you know it's startling enough without having to think of associated costs of that. But I was able to walk in, get examined, get uh, diagnostics done. There was absolutely no cost, so that was uh, you know it just gives great peace of mind when that financial piece is removed. It it, it is such a stark contrast. Um, one of the things I have, I've spent a fair amount of time uh, in Britain as well. <clears throat> and um, when I was staying with cousins in the 80s, uh, the last time I was I was visiting, I remember somebody complaining about the medical system. I was like, this is so <laughs> great. You could you can just go and you don't have to pay. And and because I, you know, uh, had already experienced the U.S. health system. Right? That's what I grew up with. And it seemed magical. And they looked at me and said, oh, but you have to wait for two or three weeks to see a doctor sometimes. And I'm sort of, oh, this has always been in the back of my, my mind as I use my private health insurance to schedule an appointment with a specialist 
she wants me to come in and have a recheck for an ongoing condition. She's trying to get me scheduled. She's got her schedulers working on getting me scheduled. And it's five weeks out. And this is so typical of, uh, of exactly. so, so much of our private healthcare system. And so, uh, you know, I wonder when you are uh, talking with folks, uh, Linda, when you're talking with folks about uh, healthcare and about uh, healthcare for everyone, what kind of arguments do you hear back from people? Do you, do you ever get people saying, I don't trust that? What about those death panels? <laughs> Certainly. Uh, a lot of people have the argument that um, they don't want the government taking over their health care or standing between them and their health care. When the truth of the matter is right now, insurance companies stand between us and our health care providers. They tell us who we can see, when we can see them, what tests the prescribers, the providers can order. Um, you know, there's cases of providers using their their professional wisdom wanting to order um, important tests and insurance companies saying, no, you have to, this is the course you have to take. And so right now, that, that choice is removed from the relationship between the provider and the patient. So under a, um, a universal health care system, the government, the publicly funded part, that, that would just be the funding part. The providers would retain their professional autonomy. So that's one of the arguments that there wouldn't be choice. Right now we don't have choice. But in systems like Canada, for instance, there's a vast amount of choice because you're given a national insurance card and you can seek health care anywhere in the country. So to me, that's a vast amount of choice as opposed to what I have as an insured person right now. The moment I um, leave my network area, costs go up. Mm-hmm. Um, I have ne- you know, very little choice if I want to pursue um, some sort of uh, other modality. Mm-hmm. It's often not covered. So right. it's, it's a false argument. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Lisa, what about, uh, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just, uh, while Linda was speaking, and good morning, Linda. Um, good morning, Lisa. Good, yeah, I was thinking about a recent experience that I had um, at our clinic where the clinic manager gave me a ring and said, so-and-so has to be readmitted. Um, can you get to work on that? And I took a look at his health insurance, and I said, oh, he has Medicare. There's nothing you need to do. Just proceed. And she said, oh, thank you. <laughs> right? Right. So um, we spend so much time uh, manipulating, uh, trying to manipulate the system to get the care that our patients need when they have private health insurance. It infuriates our doctors that they have to go through multiple steps if they need a readmission or a special procedure or even just a diagnostic test mm-hmm. where they get bumped up and bumped up until they're finally having a doctor-to-doctor conversation with somebody thousands of miles away in an office suite who's never laid eyes on their patient and then having to make a case to this stranger about why they need to uh, what you know why they need to proceed with a procedure and it that alone, I mean, if somebody could even calculate the costs mm-hmm. 
the time that's <coughs> lost in that kind of interaction that we're forced to engage in, that's got to be worth millions and possibly billions. I mean, that is that is corporate gatekeeping, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So uh, this person that's never met you has no idea, passed uh, some notes on a page, mm-hmm. what what your situation is, what mm-hmm. your life is like, what your health needs are in general, mm-hmm. gets to make a life or death decision about you. Absolutely. And that's not a government death panel. That's not a government no. death panel. No, that, that is yeah. exactly what we have right now with corporate gatekeeping mm-hmm. in our healthcare system. And and very little accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, usually, um, you know, the kind of accountability that exists is through insurance commissions with at, at the state level, which have really very little power to get an insurance company to reverse a a decision. And so then you've got people having to take to the media. Mm -hmm. There's an event coming up tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty exciting event. Uh, I know, Lisa, you have some information about it. It involves some representatives. Uh, Really, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So tomorrow, uh, Earl Blumenauer, Suzanne Bonamici are welcoming Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. And they are going to be here uh, having a Medicare for All speak out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you give us some details about that? Yes, thank you so much. This is what we're so excited about because as many people probably know, Pramila Jayapal introduced the Medicare for All House Resolution into the Congress this year. And um, this is really groundbreaking piece of legislation that we've all waited a lifetime for. And she'll be here in person to talk about that resolution along with Representatives Blumenauer and Bonamici. So the door, this is at Benson High School tomorrow morning, May 11. The doors will open at 9.30 in the morning. Um, The event is going to be moderated by one of my favorite county commissioners, Sharon Mirren. And um, Sushila Jayapal will be there with her as well. Um, Also a fabulous um, commissioner who happens to be the sister of Pramila Jayapal. So it's a big family event. The speaking order will be Congressman Bonamici, Congresswoman, excuse me, Bonamici, followed by Congressman Blumenauer. And then Congresswoman Jayapal will speak. And after they speak, there is going to be about 45 minutes for questions and comments. So folks will receive a raffle ticket when they enter, and Commissioner Mirren will um, draw the tickets, and folks will line up and get a chance to tell their story at the mic. So it's called uh, Medicare for All Speak Out, and that's what we hope people will turn out in vast numbers Mm -hmm. to do. Whether you get a chance at the microphone or not, it's really critical that we show the, the Congress that there's overwhelming support for Medicare for All here in the Portland area. Let me go ahead and give this phone number out here for the studio line. You can join this conversation this morning here on KBU Live at 503-231-8187. That's 503-231-8187. And uh, let us know your stories. Uh, and I'm also uh, interested in your questions about actually having universal health care here in this country. I, you know, I want to actually ask uh, you both uh, about stories that you have 
experienced. I know for myself, I mean, there are stories, they just abound, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like daily, you hear something, uh, even in my, in my world, where I no longer work at a a health clinic or in in that capacity as a healthcare provider. Uh, I used to, and have some interesting stories from that as Mm -hmm. well. But here at KABU, where I'm the volunteer coordinator, I just got to talk to a new volunteer at the beginning of this week who has just moved to Oregon from somewhere on the East Coast, let's just say. He's lived in four different states, and he told me that as a 31-year-old man moving to Oregon, it's the first time in his adult life that he has a primary care provider because he is covered under Oregon's health plan. Mm -hmm. And to hear that this man, who is a 31-year-old human being, Mm -hmm. (laughs) has for the first time since they were a child covered under their parents' insurance, been able to see a primary health care provider. I said, what did you do before? He says, well, I, I, I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Wow. You yeah, know, I mean, again, yeah. wow. And this yeah. is such a common experience. Mm-hmm. And I have had the honor and privilege of living in Oregon <laughs> my entire life. Yeah, yeah. So I forget, right? you know, and what it's like for the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. I certainly remember when the Oregon Health Plan started and a moment of rejoicing was had. Yeah. Um, What, you know, but that just, again, blew my mind and it it just made fresh, again, the realization of how desperate the situation is. Sure. Um, Linda, I want to pull you in a little bit more. Uh, In your work as a, a nurse with a mission, can you can you share with us a, a, a story that that has really uh, impacted you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you uh, one one story that might be a little surprising, and it's it, it's my own. And as a nurse, uh, people might su- find it surprising that for about four or five years I was without health insurance um, because our health insurance is tied to employers, which is um, makes it very volatile because mm-hmm. people change jobs all the time. Um, I was a, a contract nurse at the time, a travel nurse at the Warren, um, uh, because there was not uh, insurance provided by the agencies, I would have had to go out and purchase my own, and it was just too exorbitant. So I was without insurance for uh, four or five years. That's one of, and you would never right. think that a, a healthcare person uh, would be without insurance, but I was. I just was uh, yeah. very careful and, uh, you know, did a lot of my own doctoring at home if I was sick. Um, but yeah, one of the stories uh, currently that really is poignant to me is uh, the story of a dear friend who um, the company she was working with. Um, went under and uh, so she lost her health care insurance and she had just gotten on with OHP which was miraculous because she was then diagnosed with cancer Mm. and had it happened in that time when she was without insurance I mean it would have been catastrophic um, it, it, it can be catastrophic even with insurance, and that's the thing that people uh, may not understand. Even with insurance, there are, I think, out of a million um, bankruptcy, 60% are associated with health care costs. So um, 
yeah, that that's a story that's right now weighing heavily on me. I and mean, I'm just so grateful that yeah. she does have Oregon Health Plan, and Oregon's done a uh, an amazing job with the expansion of Medicaid, such that there's I think maybe thirty thousand people who are still not insured, but uh, Oregon's done a fantastic job. Right. But every every day I. I walk into work at the hospital and, um, you know, there's so many people who are uh, uninsured still, underinsured. Um, we now employ a whole other entity uh, to go and try to find payers for people um, who, are, um, who are not insured. So I just think of the costs associated with all of these other layers of administration and then the the woes of people who who aren't insured or uninsured there's uh, there's really countless yeah. countless um just um stories of that you know uh i came across a, a you know a twitter post uh a couple of days ago that uh was posted saying the state of healthcare in the us in 2019 can be described thusly a patient is diagnosed with incurable cancer. I spend 45 minutes with the family going over everyone's questions. Their biggest fear isn't dying. Instead, their biggest question is, I don't know how we can handle this financially. Mm-hmm. So at a time when really, you know, all all of your focus really should be on your on your family, on your connections, on your life, and how you have lived it and how you will be making your transition instead worrying about getting a second mortgage on your house and how you know what state you're going to leave your family in and how is this going to that is just unconscionable to me that that is uh you know where we're at in this country with health care yeah i've seen people leave the hospital still needing medical care but they've they've left against medical advice because of that yeah yeah. Uh, Lisa, um, do you have anything to add? Well, um, yeah, I, I share Linda's experience in um, <clears throat> people routinely um, declining uh, the, the, to follow the doctor's advice strictly on, on cost. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my own story about um, the impact as well. So uh, when I first moved to Oregon, I went to work for a small, uh, the branch of an actual large nonprofit organization. Um, and when I was first hired, um, the health insurance was affordable to, the, the premium was affordable to us. And then they switched to a different payer um, and the premiums zoomed w- beyond what I was being paid because it was a part-time job. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, couldn't do it. They gave me permission to go out and look for my own health insurance and that they would cover that if I could come up with something that mm-hmm. um, was not greater than what they were going to have to pay to this large insurer. So I did, got an individual plan and um, uh, did not understand the concept myself that pregnancy would be considered a pre-existing condition. So I was about... Um, <clears throat> three months into the policy when I became pregnant. <laughs> so I made it, uh, boy, <clears throat> if there's any power to prayer, praying that this baby would hang on until I'd been insured 12 months. Um, and so I went entirely through my prenatal um, 
experience uninsured Mm. and um, thankfully my beautiful son John did wait (laughs) just over the line (laughs) what a cooperative soul (laughs) what a cooperative little guy Um, and um, so so I was covered when he was born um, but he was born with a birth defect that required surgery um, um, as an infant Um, and so eventually that became part of our story Mm -hmm. when we had to file for bankruptcy a couple of years later we were still struggling with the costs related to my uninsured prenatal care as well as his needs as an infant Um, so I've had that experience Um, and then I've also been treated three times for cancer twice under my husband's union benefits so we experienced very little out of pocket um, and really had great peace of mind through both of those experiences. But the last one, um, I made the insane decision for reasons I still don't remember to switch to my own employer's health insurance. And um, so I we've just finished paying off the out of pocket two years, um, almost three years after that mm-hmm. last experience um, by un- under my non-union insurance. Right. And needless to say, the next year I went back to being covered by my husband's union plan. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I want to bring Camillo into the conversation. Good morning, Camillo. Good morning. Uh, I found it very interesting that uh, the story just told about experience with health care <clears throat> is identical to the one that Senator Michael Dembro tells. When he was in graduate school, he had a birth of a child with a defect and didn't have coverage and then had the good experience of being in France and having everything covered for their next child. And the reason I mentioned Senator Dembro and, and this story is that he's been a champion of healthcare for all Oregon and I thought that we were going to be hearing about that this morning, but apparently not. And I was curious to know whether you have any information on what Healthcare for All Oregon is doing regarding their intention to support a ballot measure in 2020. Um, sure. Particularly, I- you know, in light of the fact that we're going to have a, a, a national movement. And I want to make one more point. About Senate, about Representative Blumenauer. Mm-hmm. You know that HR six seventy six Medicare for all has been introduced perhaps for twenty years by Ron Dellums initially. Mm-hmm. Blumenauer opposed that up until about the last three four years. He should not be on that podium. All right. Thanks very much, Camila. Okay. Um, we do want to talk about health care for all Oregon. We do, and we will. Um, I also... So I can... Go, go right ahead, Linda. Oh, yeah, I'd just like to um, to address his, uh, his question. Um, yeah, there is actually a bill in the Oregon Senate right now, um, a health care for all uh, Senate Bill 770, and that is was introduced by Senator Manning. And that that bill will, um, if it does pass, it is right now in the Ways and Means Committee, and um, if it does pass, it would establish a commission, um, a 17-member commission, um, 
13 of those members would be uh, appointed by the governor, and that commission would establish um, a universal health care program for Oregonians and would also establish the funding stream. So that is, um, you know, there's kind of two tiers going on at the national level, and then there are various states trying to to create their own uh, publicly funded single-payer uh, healthcare system. And a lot of people think that it might happen in, in a state, in a state like Oregon first, and then that would kind of start leading the way so that it could happen on the national level. All right. So we, we do we do recommend, I mean, that people are talking to both their state uh, representatives and senators, um, anyone who lives in um, Senator um, Betsy Johnson's district. We highly recommend that uh, they talk to her and ask her for her support for Senate Bill 770 because she does chair the Ways and Means Committee and... Um, very powerful position to move that legislation forward. Mm -hmm. Lisa, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I'd just like to add that um, people can also go on to OLIS, O-L-I-S dot gov, and um, find the bill and uh, enter testimony online if they can't participate uh, directly in Salem. They can find out who, who are on, uh, who all's on the committee along with uh, Senator Johnson and reach out to all of them and express their support for that bill. Um, and then I would also like to address uh, the caller's uh, um, remarks about Representative Blumenauer, but I'd also like to, to give a shout out to Senator Dembro, who is my state senator and uh, a great state senator mm -hmm. and has been a great champion, as the caller said, for health care. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the members of Congress don't always act as we would like them to, but I, um, but Representative Blumenauer will be on that stage tomorrow because he is one of the original co-sponsors to Congresswoman Jayapal's bill, uh, which is uh, H.R. 1384, and that effectively is taking the place now of the bills under previous numbers, and he's now a very enthusiastic supporter. He's signed on, as has uh, um, sorry, Representative Bonamici and Representative DeFazio. So at this point, Congress, uh, Oregon has two remaining uh, Congress members who have not signed on to co-sponsor. Um, and uh, one is Kurt Schrader. And, uh, of course, the other one is Greg Walden. Walden, I, yeah. Walden and, and we don't have high hopes for Greg Walden, but we do for Kurt Schrader. So, yeah, you know, they, they never move as quickly or as maybe strongly as we want them to, but, but Blumenauer is on board now, and, and that, that means a lot to me. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to put it out there that I think it's important to let Congress folks change their minds. Because that's why we contact them and encourage them to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, Good point. Yep. You know, it's it, otherwise, why would we engage in that kind of political activity, right? We want them to change their minds. We want them to do the right thing. And we want to notice them when they are doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not wild about electoral politics in general, but I do understand the, the right. principle yeah, of trying to uh, get movement in a, in a good direction, right? That's right. And yeah. it, it, it's... Um, I'm hard pressed to see 
you know, what else has changed his mind except um, his constituents because there's a lot of forces at work that want him to not change his mind. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to let people know that coming up today on KBOO, you will be hearing at 9 o'clock The Beloved Community with your host, John Shuck. At 10, the radio zine takes a look at the city council's decision to end funding for Portland's neighborhood associations, as well as an interview with the Demo House. At 10.30, Film at 11 welcomes Tom Kane, founder of Tom Kane's Film Production Workshop. That gives students real-world instruction on how to run a film production schedule. And at 11 o'clock, the Digital Divide host, Rabia Yaman, will speak live in the studio with Matthew Shepard, Director of Communications and Outreach for the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. We'll hear more about their work protecting butterflies, bees, and more. All of these programs are, in fact, made possible with your support. If you would like more information on becoming a KBOO member, because maybe you aren't yet, please go uh, to the website. You can go kboo.fm and hit the donate button or tap the donate button on your mobile app. If you don't know about our mobile app, please download the mobile app. It's free, and I think it's just about the most uh, convenient and best way to listen to uh, KBOO, especially the archived programs there. That's all of the KBOO business. I do, uh, we have Sean online too. Let's go ahead and talk to Sean. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, At this point, it's become obvious that our neo-feudal, ecocidal, plutocratic masters uh, see the American people as fit for nothing better than orderly disposal. Uh, Oftentimes, um, you know, we talk about Western Europe, we talk about Canada, Uh, Michael Moore came out with Sicko many years ago, and we often talk about what the ideal would be, and we should have had socialized medicine 30 years ago. I think that's obvious to everyone, but through a a set of systematic policy decisions, the American people no longer have any leverage with our plutocratic masters, and so rather than talk about what we should have, I'm curious, um, have any of you had any experience with the developing world and what their, medi- what their healthcare systems look like, what their health outcomes are like? Because it seems like, if anything, um, our plutocratic masters are moving us more. Their ideal would be to move us in the direction of the developing world. And, and what is that going to look like as far as life expectancy and health outcomes? And well, can actually, you, can you elaborate that? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I think uh, our movement is actually two-tiered. There is definitely movement uh, to to devolve, as it were, uh, the the masses, the working uh, the working folks and the poor, uh, while ever uplifting uh, those that rule. So I just you know there's a there's an interesting split there. Uh, Linda, I know you've had some experience nursing in Haiti. Can you um, can you address this? Well, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Haiti would be the the best uh, example of um, a shining example of healthcare. Um, right. I was there after the after the um, after the earthquake, so I was there at a very precarious time, a For very sure. tragic I th- time. So I think Sean hung up, but if I'm if <laughs> I'm not mistaken, I think he was looking at uh, you know health systems of uh, of countries and of. Uh, exploited countries that you know the health systems aren't that good and he's seeing that that we may be uh, going to the you know the race to the bottom argument the race to the bottom well I I don't think that that's true I mean there's um, 
you know, I think uh, most of the developed uh, industrialized world has a universal health care program. And then there are um, many, many countries that offer free or very low-cost health care to all of its citizens. Mm -hmm. And these include countries like uh, Bangladesh, El Salvador. Um, I don't have particular health care statistics about those countries. Uh, Most of the statistics come from a comparison of industrialized nations. Mm -hmm. So what I do know is the U.S. ranks 19th. Um, among industrialized nations in terms of health care outcomes. Right. We have one of the worst uh, maternal mortality rates, infant mortality rates. Um, and so um, 45,000 people die each year in the U.S. because of lack of insurance. 18,000 babies do. Um, so I think, you know, we would be comparing, we wouldn't be comparing apples to apples if we were doing industrialized versus um, not industrialized or as, as a fully developed I uh, nation. Uh, but in terms of racing to the bottom, I, I think we've already re- kind of won that race. <laughs> right? We have ruts <laughs> in the track. Yeah, right. We've, we've won that race. We have, we have far more technology than um, most other nations in terms of healthcare technology, but it's not appropriately used. It's overused. It's underused. There's all kinds of configurations of that. Um, you know, the basic problem with our healthcare system is in its, you know, top-heavy administrative costs, and that is what makes it so expensive. And yet, it doesn't serve everyone. That's the bottom line. It's an inefficient um, system. If we had a universal healthcare system, we would immediately save two hundred over $200 billion each year just in eliminating the administrative costs uh, associated with hospitals and doctor's visits. So, I mean, there's, it's such a, it's such a top-heavy administrative um, burden, administrative cost burden, that that is where the differences would begin to show. Mm-hmm. I'd like to sh- uh, talk to uh, briefly about uh H.R. 1384 and um, one of some of the things that it would cover yeah, that would start would be a um, first of all it would cover everyone. The cost of not covering people is far more expensive than um, covering everyone. It would cover such things as dental and vision and long-term care. Now, as a nurse case manager, the idea of long-term care being provided for, being funded for all the people who need it is absolutely thrilling to me. The cost is exorbitant. I mean, it's anywhere from five to $10,000 a month out of pocket for people. That's not what most of us can pay. So I think if we get this put through, either at the national level or at state level and then at the national level, we are going to begin to see Americans have healthier, longer lives. Right now, our life expectancy is a good three to four years less than Canadians. 
All right. So I think there's there's some vast differences there. I don't know if I can fully address that question um, because of so much of the statistics lo- just looking at right. the industrialized nations. But what I do know is we could vastly improve our, the health of our, our citizens. Absolutely. I think that's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind people that you are, in fact, listening to KBOO, your community radio station. I'm Ani. This is Positively Revolting. And we are talking about the state of health care in the U.S. and health care for all. Uh, We are specifically talking with Lisa Morrison, uh, who is here in the studio, as well as Linda Chick, who is joining us by phone. Uh, These two women both uh, work to, to make... Uh, universal coverage a reality in in our in our lifetimes right mm-hmm. um, and I want to make sure uh, you can also if you are a fan of positively revolting you can go to our Facebook page like us and follow us on Facebook uh, you can find us there positively revolting you can also follow along in the Twitter verse at positive revolt uh, 503-231-8187 is the phone number to call. We have just about 10 minutes left, a little bit more of this show. So uh, call right now if you'd like to uh, jump in with your question or your your story. Um, Lisa, I want to go ahead and make sure people do know about tomorrow's event. If mm-hmm. folks have joined us a little late, do you want to give the details again of tomorrow's event? You uh, bet. Thank you so much. Um, yep, yeah, tomorrow... Um, 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 there'll be a Medicare for All Speak Out at Benson High School, uh, which is on 12th, I got that right, mm-hmm. 12th yep. Avenue, um, down by the um, overpass to 84. Um, the doors open at 9.30, and um, that is being uh, hosted by Congress people, Earl Blumenauer, Suzanne Bonamici, and their special guest from Washington, uh, Pramila Jayapal, who uh, introduced the Medicare for All legislation into the Congress this year. Doors will open at 9.30. Uh, people will receive a lottery ticket to get their chance at the mic during the event. And this is a unique opportunity for us to show up in numbers from this area to signal our support for Medicare for All single-payer health care. So they're really going to be watching to see, does it look like people are willing to take a couple of hours out of their Saturday to come out and stand up for this idea? And that will give them a lot of strength and support moving forward uh, to shop this this legislation around nationally. So I hope you all turn out for that. Absolutely. And uh, for more information, if people want more information, where can they find more information about this? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> Linda, have you got a, um, I'm sure it's on the healthcareforall.org website. Yes. Um, and so I, if you go to go ahead. yeah hcao.org um, for information about um, what's happening in Oregon. And then... Uh, Medicare for All now um, will talk about the what's happening on the national front of healthcarenow.org. Uh, that, that is a, a fabulous organization. Uh, national Nurses United 
um, is also very active uh, around the uh, HR 1384. So any of those organizations would be uh, very um, informational, would show you how to get involved uh, here in Oregon. Again, Healthcare for All Oregon to get involved with the um, with the uh, Oregonian uh, efforts to get a single payer publicly funded healthcare system right here in Oregon. I know it's splattered all over Facebook. I keep seeing um, event posts to remind people to turn out for it there. So you could just type in Medicare for All Speak Out Portland and you'll uh, it should pop up there. It's also been shared with the Positively Revolting Facebook page if oh, people uh, uh, do uh, find that. So um, you can get information about it. And I think that that is super important. It is uh, such, you know, again, when it comes to, if we could just have a, a, a couple of case, you know, cases in point of how broken our, our country is. Mm-hmm. The healthcare system is just a prime example mm-hmm. of corporate greed taking over and uh, and absolutely asserting that it is more important that uh, corporations make uh, make a profit than people receive quality health care, than doctors, nurses, and other providers are actually able to do their jobs. Uh, you know, this is, it's not simply about the patient. It is also about the healthcare providers just uh, wanting to be able to provide the quality of care they are trained to provide for their for their consumers, for their patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I think that it's important for people to keep in mind when we talk about, you know, is this possible to have Medicare for all or single payer health care is there are it's well over 40% of the American population that is already covered by single payer in one form or another. They either have Medicare, railroad Medicare, Medicaid, VA, military health insurance, Indian health insurance, and then that doesn't even take into account the millions of people employed by the federal government and state governments, that's all taxpayer-funded, single-payer health care. And it's just that we're we're not under one big umbrella yeah. yet. So we don't even really have yeah. that far to go to get there. And, um, and this is one of those instances where I think uh, instead of saying, you know, that's too expensive, they shouldn't have that because I don't have it, I hope people will start to say, wait a minute, they have that. I should have that too. Right. That's that's the way to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and bring Tim into the conversation. Good morning, Tim. You're on the air. Good morning. I have a <coughs> excuse me. I have a question about dental. It's like I have Medicare, but it doesn't cover dental. <coughs> Pardon me. It doesn't cover dental, and it also. Um, I never hear anything about dental discussed when we talk about national health care. It, it, it's, it's not an option. Mm-hmm. And I mean, serious things can happen in your mouth. <laughs> well, for sure. And, and of course, uh, you know, dental issues can also lead to things like heart issues. Right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, there's a there's a huge connection between dental health and overall health. So is there any... So dental would be... 
covered in at the on the um, the Medicare. The, it's a, called an expanded and improved Medicare for all, and dental oh. would be covered. Yeah, yeah dental would be covered. I just I just went to the dentist and I I couldn't do it because they keep jacking the price up for just cleaning. Yeah, they wanted two hundred nineteen dollars. Mm, yeah, yeah. I can't afford that. I'm a low income person. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for calling this morning, and thank you, Linda, also for um, making the point that we are talking about expanded, improved Medicare that for is all. That's a huge point because Medicare, as it stands now, parts A, B, and D do leave tremendous out-of-pocket for people if they don't have a way to supplement it, and it doesn't cover dental or vision or long-term care. So these uh, these new proposals are very comprehensive, and uh, I'm also thankful to Tim for bringing up dental in specifically. So in, in many transplant programs, you have to have dental clearance in order to be listed, mm-hmm. and many people don't have good dental health because they're not covered for it, or the coverage in most instances is really inadequate. Right. It's the, almost the worst kind of insurance I'm there is say, if I, you have it at I all. I have pretty good insurance. Yeah. My dental insurance sucks. It's terrible. It, <laughs> you, you, it's always, you're always weighing, boy, is it worth the extra expense to add this on when I price it out? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, because your dental health does have an effect on your overall health, and it's insane that it's left out and carved yeah. out for those who have yeah. any insurance at all. Well, I have just a couple minutes left. Marilyn, we have uh, just about a minute for you. Can you, uh, you're on the air. Okay, so uh, tell me again the name of the bill or the number of the bill in the state uh, legislature that's going on now. Okay, what what are the bills that we are uh, talking about? It's a great wrap-up. In Oregon, it's SB 770, and it has it has had amendments added, so I think it's dash 5A, but if you look up... SB 770, that'll take you to the right Senate bill. Okay. And the national? The national bill. HR 1384. HR 1384 that is the that bill summary is not available yet online but the bill summary for hr 1384 is available on i think it's congress.gov all right uh marilyn thanks very much for your call okay did you have a one uh, a real yeah uh, i'm not good on the computer can you tell me the other uh, members of the uh, betsy johnson's committee that we have to call uh, so Betsy Johnson is the chair of Ways and Means in the uh, Oregon Senate, uh-huh. and she and that if it, that is where that bill is sitting right now mm-hmm. in Ways and Means, and there will be a hearing called shortly, and it's very important for anyone in in Betsy Johnson's district to get in touch with her and and declare their support for. SB 770. So that's SB 770. Thank you very much, Marilyn. We are clear out of time. 
So I want to uh, thank very much. I want to thank Linda and Lisa uh, for being here this morning and for uh, talking with us on Positively Revolting. I want you both to leave contact information one more time on the air. How can people find out more? Linda? Oh, hello. Oh, sorry. Hi, Linda. How, how can people I, find out more about Healthcare for All Oregon, Linda? At hcao.org. Or for people that aren't good with computers, maybe is there a phone number? Ah, phone number. Um, you can call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on a second. Let's not do that. Let's not give your home uh, number. Yeah, I've got a phone number for them. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I hope this works. It's 503-206-6709. And there's lots of activity going on all the time. And they will be at the Speak Out tomorrow at Benson High School. So look for someone in a red T-shirt. Sounds great. And we are flat out of time. Thank you both for joining us for this super important discussion. This was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Ani. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much, Ani. Thank you, Linda. Really wonderful. <laughs> Bye-bye. KBU Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the 9th Annual Keaton Otis Memorial on Sunday, May 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Maranatha Church in Portland. Keaton Otis was killed by Portland Police May 12, 2010. Every month since his murder, a vigil has been held at the spot he died. The event will include artists, community members, and leaders, refreshments, and information about the monthly vigils held at Northeast 6th and Halsey where Keaton was killed. Again, that's the 9th Annual Keaton Otis Memorial on Sunday, May 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Maranatha Church, 4222 Northeast 12th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of The More Who Die, The Less We Care, Confronting Genocide and the Deadly Arithmetic of Compassion, on Thursday, May 9th, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education, 